All right. So as usual, it's great to see everybody. And I hope uh, you believe the same as likewise, the other way around. Last week, we started chapter 10, in which we started to discuss the tzaddik, the righteous person. And we discussed that a tzaddik, we discussed there are two types of tzaddikim, two types of, two types of righteous people. Um, regardless, um, we said one righteous person totally gotten rid of the evil within his heart. And uh, it has completely turned over to good. Now, he didn't explain that, but we'll explain that soon. But then he started talking about the incomplete tzaddik. Again, generally, we tend to think a complete tzaddik, a complete righteous person is someone who does only good. And an incomplete tzaddik, an incomplete righteous person as someone who does mostly good. That's what we normally would think. The Tanya comes to teach us that the definitions of, of tzaddik and, and benoni and intermediate really have more to do with what's going on on the inside of you. And so what we explain is both the tzaddik, and we'll explain later on a benoni intermediate person, actually both of them never sin. The difference is the evil inclination within them, where is that holding? So in a tzaddik, the evil inclination has no say. And with a Bainani, with their intermediate person, as we'll discuss in the later chapters, the evil inclination does have a say, just you don't listen to it. So a tzaddik really is of a, of a much higher caliber person, something we can't even imagine, in which they never have desires to do anything wrong. They never desire to do anything wrong. Within that, there are two levels. There's the complete tzaddik and the incomplete tzaddik. So you might ask me, what's the difference between the complete and the incomplete? And the answer we started to explain last week is the complete tzaddik means the evil inclination not only never says anything bad, but the evil inclination itself is now turned into good. So it's become now an advocate for the good. It's completely been transformed. Not a speck of evil within this person. We'll discuss in today's class how that is very rare. But then we have people, righteous people, who have within them still a vestige of the evil inclination. but um, it is so minute, it is so small that they don't notice it. So the question is, if you don't notice it, then really what difference is there between a fully righteous and a not between a complete tzaddik and a not complete tzaddik? And here comes the interesting point that we touched upon last week, and we're going to expand upon this week, and that is that if indeed the person had completely eradicated the evil within their heart. If the tzaddik, the incomplete tzaddik, had indeed taken their evil inclination and transformed it to good, their love of God would be complete. But being that their love of God is not complete and they are not completely disgusted by evil, they never desire evil, but they're not completely disgusted by it, that shows that there is still some vestige of evil within them. So again, if you have no evil within you, you love God 100%. And you have no, not only do you not desire worldly things, it's disgusting to you. But you can be a complete tzaddik where you never think of doing anything bad. Yet at the same time, you are not necessarily completely repulsed by evil. Okay? That is going to be the big difference. And we're going to expand upon it. You might ask why. What? Why? why having a little bit of evil inclination within you means you're not repulsed. We're going to discuss that, and that's going to be of great relevance to us. Um, um, okay. So let us, let us take a look within the text over here. We're going to be on page 124. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So he's going to explore this idea that if you completely get rid of your evil inclination, you are disgusted by bad things. And if you don't, you're not disgusted. So he says like this, let us explore this idea. And let me just, no, I can't zoom in more. Now with a complete tzaddik, whose evil has been transformed to good, which is why he is referred to as a tzaddik who has it good. Meaning, what does it mean a tzaddik that is, has it good, meaning everything within him is good. He achieved this through completely removing his evil-soiled garments. As explained in the previous chapter, emotional detachment from worldly pleasures, the soiled garments of the animal soul, is a necessary step to transform the animal soul, right? 
Remember how we explained our garments? We actually touched upon in the Kabbalah class as well, right? The animal soul is both built up of emotions, but also of thought, speech, and action. So a complete tzaddik has completely removed his evil-soiled garments, and he has also changed also the inner workings of that uh, evil inclination, as we'll see in a moment. That is to say, he is deeply repulsed by the pleasures of this world, i.e. the notion of enjoying mortal pleasures purely to gratify the body and not in worship of God. He finds the notion repulsive because these pleasures are derived from empowered by the klipa and sitra In other words, um, there are many people out there who recognize the beauty, maybe of spirituality, and so they've chosen spirituality over physical pleasures. This person is not like that. He's not just saying, I recognize the beauty of spirituality over physical pleasures. He's saying physical pleasures, I don't even see how they're pleasurable. This is what a complete sadik is. He doesn't even see... He couldn't even fathom that there is a pleasure within the physical world. Now it continues. Why not? As we have learned, there are no spiritually neutral activities. Your kosher pleasure will enhance consciousness of God if your intentions are to elevate the experience to higher purpose. But if carried out for the sake of indulgence alone, the act hides God and strengthens the force of negativity, klipa. To the complete tzaddik, all forms of klipa are utterly objectionable, even enjoying a kosher sandwich while temporarily forgetting about God. So if you want to offer complete tzaddik a beautiful deli sandwich, he will not uh, appreciate it. Uh, he might he might eat a, a kosher deli sandwich, but the physical pleasure of it is, is not going to be anything of, of substance to him. They tell a story uh, just to illustrate this, they tell a story of a, uh, there was a, a great rabbi in uh, in France, Bernois, France, Chabad as yeshiva there. He was famous for really not caring about physical pleasures at all. So he was, he would famously rail against ice cream. You know, he would talk about, you know, leave the worldly pleasures and he would rail against how terrible ice cream is. So one time he was at a, uh, he was at a wedding and he was eating ice cream. And so one of his students came over to him and says, Rabbi, uh, you talk, talk, you talk the talk. Why don't you walk the walk? You know, you're railing against us all about eating ice cream. Here you are eating ice cream. So the rabbi like says, what, this is ice cream? Basically, he had no idea. He was at a wedding, this food there. You pick up the food, you eat it and because uh, you need to eat whatever, you move on. <laughs> he didn't even know it was ice cream. He heard ice cream is this thing that people love. And so he rails against ice cream. The whole idea of ice cream just never, you know, stuck in his mind. So this is what a, a tzaddik is even more. They're, 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 they're even repulsed by these things. So, um, but that's the idea is that, you know, we, we can't even fathom such an idea, but this is a tzaddik, but I'll get to how this is practical for us. Then he continues, good to see you, Baruch. And the complete tzaddik completely and utterly detests anything that is from the sitra achara, from the other side. Uh, let me just let a couple more people in the, uh, in the class. Okay, we're discussing a complete tzaddik, how he uh, detests anything that is non-godly. Why? Where, this is the important line. Due to his profound love for God and his holiness. Again, why does he detest anything that's evil? Due to his profound love for God and his holiness. With an exceptional love that is great and pleasurable mentioned above. So here's the question. Here is what we're going to discuss. Uh, we'll read some text in a moment, but he is saying that you that this tzaddik, this complete tzaddik, detests any physical pleasures because they come from the other side. They they come from the sitra achra, the other side. They're not godly, and anything that's not godly, he detests. Why? Because he loves God. Now you might ask, why can't you love God and like ice cream? And I think we've had this discussion in Tanya before. But this is really where it discusses it straight up. So again, we're saying it, you cannot. Completely love God and also love ice cream. Why not? Why can't you like uh why can't you like ice cream and love God? He explains because God has made one opposite the other. That's Ecclesiastes. There is no spiritual spiritually neutral zone. If you love God, you will detest anything that opposes God, any act that is from Klipa and Sitra Ahara. Rampe? Yes. Um you could uh, you could like ice cream because it enhances your ability to uh, dive in, study, whatever. 
Is that not true? You 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 can and I can. Um, to a tzaddik, though, even the physical pleasure of ice cream is not pleasurable. Only God is pleasurable. Uh, to you and me, we can eat and enjoy the world in ways that enhance our learning of God. So I might say, you know, I, I could eat a good pizza because that'll help me. Uh, that'll help me in my studies. You know, I, I feel good. I've eaten good. I feel good. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to study. Uh, to a tzaddik, he finds he finds no pleasure in the pizza because that little bit of pleasure, nevertheless, is a pleasure in something other than God. And and I, honestly, it's an animalistic pleasure. We have found ways to use animalistic pleasures for good things, but for a tzaddik, there is nothing else besides for his love of God. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're going to expand on this point as well because it is an interesting point. Uh, but at this point, what he's saying is, is that if you completely love God, as he says, to a great and pleasurable love, um, you cannot love the physicality. As he continues, as the verse states, I utterly detest them. They have become my enemies. Probe me, O God, and know my heart. King David asked God to probe his heart. Do I utterly detest the enemies of God? Love of God and contempt for that which opposes God are inversely related. Nina says he feels pleasure, but he denies it. That could be with some people, but that's incorrect with a complete tzaddik. A complete tzaddik actually does not feel any pleasure. If you were to imagine, we do not enjoy things that aren't food, right? You eat earth, we don't enjoy it. A tzaddik does not enjoy physical pleasures. Um, he's not just denying it, he doesn't feel it. There's a story of the Alter Rebbe. Let's tell a story. The first Chabad Rebbe, um, uh, one one time his family were getting ready for a Shabbat dinner. And you know how families, you know, split up the different chores for the Shabbat dinner. And uh, unfortunately, the soup wasn't well decided what they should do. So everybody, you know, everybody in the family added a little bit of salt to the soup because nobody was in charge of who was putting the salt in the soup. So it ended up being a very salty soup. I think it was about soup. Maybe it was fish. I don't remember. One of the two. So everybody's sitting at the meal. Everybody's trying to eat. And uh, as the Alter Rebbe starts eating, um, uh, he, he's just eating. And everybody else like took one bite and it's finished. And so they ask him, like, how are you, uh, you know, how are you eating that? And he says, um, he says, uh, from the time that I came to the Magad of Mezrish, which was his teacher, I feel absolutely no pleasure in this world. I see someone else is asking, how do we understand this? You know, why can we enjoy pizza? We're going to discuss this. I want to finish reading the, the section here, and then we're going to have a discussion about this. Okay? Sometimes I do the discussion, then I do the text. This time I'm doing the text, then we're doing the discussion. Um, but anyways, that's the idea. He, we cannot fathom putting aside how we deal with this, we cannot fathom such a level, a tzaddik who literally has zero pleasure, literally uh, pizza tastes like dirt, like it, it doesn't mean anything to them, it literally means nothing to them. Uh, we cannot fathom such an idea. We're not, we're not tzaddikim, we're not, we're not that level. They, they literally don't have the animalistic soul. The animalistic soul is now a godly soul. Hence, there's no animalistic feelings is completely godly and if they have to eat they have to eat so this is why tzaddikim you know they lived very uh, lives lives of denial um it didn't it didn't mean anything to them but uh we'll get to a couple stories and ideas and way to bring this down to us but let's continue but tanya uses two terms here detest and repulsion to refer to two different experiences of emotionally rejecting evil detest detesting is a rejection of the abstract forces of klipa and sutra which conceal god Repulsion refers to rejection of tangible or physical desires. Whatever. Okay. Let's continue. If a person achieves, uh, you don't have to worry about that paragraph. If a person achieves a complete transformation of the animal soul, then his loathing of and repulsion for evil will be as powerful as his love, since the repulsion is literally the opposite of love of God as detesting. If you detest the idea of smoking because it is damaging to your health, you will inevitably be repulsed by someone actually smoking. They go hand in hand. All right, so now we need to discuss this because as has been pointed out, and it is a good question, and that is that um, how do we, uh, 
why why can't I well you know let me read the actual uh, chat here um so the actual chat is can we enjoy pizza as a function of God's creation doesn't God ask in the world to come if we've enjoyed all the earthly pleasures he made available ah uh, that passage uh, I think we discussed that passage um chapter two or three but no these are good questions how do we put this all together what is, and what does it even mean what does it mean that you can't have two simultaneous loves you know we spent actually you know especially considering we spent a bunch of chapters describing how you can enjoy the world with the permission of god in other words for example uh, we discussed you know eating good meat we discussed telling good jokes how they can all be godly. And we discussed at length how Chabad Hasidus is against uh, separating ourselves from the world. So, um, how, how do we uh, dive this with the tzaddik? So the first thing I want to say, I want to point out here is that we are not tzaddikim. And in fact, um, the Alter Rebbe actually wrote a separate book called The Book for Righteous People, The Book for Tzaddikim. Okay, the book we, we're reading, Natanya, is written for us. Um, we are not expected and we don't expect to become righteous. We can learn things from them and we need to discuss what a tzaddik is so we know that we are not a tzaddik. But on a whole, the Tanya is not about, is not about righteous people. So we have to discuss it, you know, to give us an understanding of who we are, compare and contrast. Um, so the first thing to understand is that, um, yes, for us, uh, we're not expecting any of us here to lose our pleasure in pizza, or at least most of us. And we are going to do what we described in previous chapters, to use our pleasure in pizza for other things. You know, what is the job of a tzaddik? What does a tzaddik exactly do? How are they serving God when they kind of seem aloof from the world, when worldly pleasures mean nothing to them? That's for a tzaddik to understand. Obviously, to an extent, they help us, but there are many hidden tzaddikim, many hidden righteous people. What's their job? Again, it's not for us to understand. They have their, their mission. Like I said, the Alta Rebbe wrote a special book for them, which we actually don't have. Uh, it was actually burnt in a fire. We don't have that book, but we know he wrote it, and there was a discussion about it. Um, so I don't want anybody walking away from this class thinking that that, that ultimate level isn't necessarily where they're going to get. We have to remember what we've discussed till now, which is really more pertinent for us than what we're going to discuss later. Nevertheless, there are things we can learn from tzaddikim, from the righteous people. Um, so maybe when you're referencing that Talmud, it's more direct lit for the rest of us is one simple answer I could give. Of course, there's other answers I could give, but a simple answer is, yes, we are meant to interact with the world and use the worldly things. Um, even a tzaddik is meant to interact with the world, but his interaction with the world is more directed by godliness. In other words, for God, you know, the, the reason why they're going to eat a piece of cake or a brownie or a pizza will be very different than why we're going to eat it because they're not going to experience the pleasure of those items. So it's not even pleasurable to them. It's not like they're denying themselves. They, they actually don't feel the pleasure of it. Um, hopefully that gives you one uh, one basic uh, idea. But we want to understand on a deeper level, because this is very pertinent for us, uh, what does it mean that we can't have both pleasures at the same time? In other words, when we... Um, why can't we enjoy the world and enjoy God? That's really what's very pertinent to us. Um... Why can't I enjoy swimming and enjoy praying? Why can't I? The answer is you can enjoy swimming, you can enjoy praying. But if you were to enjoy godliness the way a, a tzaddik enjoyed godliness, you would not enjoy swimming. You might go swimming, but you wouldn't enjoy it. So we started off by comparing and contrasting this with an extreme, right? If you love, let's say, for example, you love your children, you will detest anything that hurts your children. Maybe I'll give another example that, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't buy, you know, BMWs and Mercedes cars. Why? Out of their love for the Jewish people and detesting what happened to them in Germany. Again, it's an emotional and a lot of Jews do buy it. I'm, I'm just getting to the idea. It's very emotional, right? They cannot enjoy a BMW. They cannot enjoy a Mercedes 
um, because of their great love for the Jewish people and, and their hate of what what happened to um, our brethren. It, it's not enjoyable. It's not like they're obviously we're, we're not tzaddikim, so you might say to an extent they're denying themselves, but to a very deep extent that they they wouldn't enjoy it at all. They would find no pleasure in it at all in getting a BMW and a Mercedes. Uh, at least some people. Um, let's say another example. Let's say, uh, um, you know, I'll pick Dr. Pepper. Uh, when I was young, I, I used to love Dr. Pepper. As a kid, I loved Dr. Pepper. Uh, at a, at, you know, when I was 14, 15, my, my GI doctor told me that uh, you can't drink anything with caffeine. Today, so in the beginning, there was obviously an element of denial. I was denying myself the Dr. Pepper. But today, I, I don't even desire it. Now, you can even take that a step further. Some people, when it comes to health food items, they're literally repulsed. You know, there are some people who are literally repulsed by, you know, non-GMO, you know, non by GMO products. Or people are repulsed by meat, you know, vegetarians, uh, because they love animals so much. We see this concept, the possibility. Do we do we have the extremes that Sadiqim have? You know that righteous people have, where they literally find zero pleasure in the world. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think any of us really get to that point um, because we don't experience uh, that powerful level of love. You know, the closest thing again that we can experience is maybe love for our loved ones, in which we uh, completely would find zero pleasure in anything that would harm them. Um, but we get the concept in which uh, we can, through love for something, I think a vegetarian is a great example, uh, through their love of animals, they detest meat. It doesn't even look tasty. It, looks, it can look repulsive to them. Um, but some of us here are not, um, are not vegetarians, or most of us are not vegetarians. Um, but I'll give another example. Um, for some people, I, I won't say this is true of everybody, but for some people, fasting in Yom Kippur, in a sense, is not that hard. I wouldn't say you detest food, but at least for me in Yom Kippur, I'm not really desiring food. I may feel hungry or thirsty, but I'm not actually desiring food. I don't feel like I'm denying myself of food. I enjoy Yom Kippur so much that the lack of food doesn't doesn't really bother me. Conversely, by the way, Tisha B'Av, you know, the holiday where we um, are commemorating the destruction of the temple, um, or, or I should say other fast days, I would say I have more of a desire for the food on those days. And I, I can feel, you know, a stronger pull towards it. But Yom Kippur, I literally, I love Yom Kippur so much. I enjoy it so much. The allure of food is really not there. Again, I can feel hungry, but the desire for food is not there. Anybody has any uh, comments or, or or thoughts they want to throw in here as well or other examples um, um, that you might think of in your life. It could be a worldly example. Yes. Sadiq finds zero pleasure. Brother, how can he or she work to make this world a better place? Um, I believe I explained earlier that Sadiqim have their own separate mission. We don't necessarily know exactly what it is. Um, like I said, there was a separate book written for Tzadikim, uh, but they definitely have a mission. And uh, if you're a Tzadik, I suppose you have some communication with the world's above and you kind of know what you have to do. Uh, obviously, we see that they inspire us. Um, but like I said, there's hidden ones. What do they do exactly? When I, when I become one, I'll let you know. <laughs> yes, David. So, Rabbi, th this might this might be off the topic a little bit. So, I'm inviting you to tell me to settle down, and we'll just talk about it separately. But one of the things I, I I never understood about uh, the Tanya, or at least the the Alter Rebbe's agenda with uh -huh. writing uh, this section, this particular section of the, of the Tanya, is it seems like there's very few sadics in the world. Yeah. Right. Okay. But yet the Alter Rebbe goes through like a breakdown of like the incomplete Sadiq and, and other designations for just like a dozen people in the whole world. What, what was his agenda for doing that? Yeah, good question. Um, 
so first of all, in, in the totality of the Tanya, it's one chapter, which is 53 chapters. But why does he spend a full chapter on it? Well, first of all, he puts it in his own chapter, so you know it's a separate topic. But also, don't forget, the Tanya is written both for lay people like us and scholars alike. And he proves a lot of what he's saying from passages. And understanding what a tzaddik is helps explain his position based on the passages. What is a tzaddik? What is a benoni? What is a rasha? What is righteous? What is intermediate? What is wicked? He has to explain these passages. Through explaining what a tzaddik is over here, he actually helps explain the passages and the questions that he brought in chapter one. So explaining this helps reinforce the basis of his entire thesis. And so just from a plain and simple thesis perspective, he had to explain this. Um, so that's you know one, one, one simple explanation. But there's also, like I said, there are many lessons along the way we can learn from righteous people. For example, this general idea of you can't have it all, right? Um, you can't you know, have your cake and eat it too, literally is what he's saying. Um, to an extent, the more invested you are in your worldly life, that's going to take away from your spiritual pursuits. And that's that's coming clear from this chapter. Now, we're not going to reach the heights of a tzaddik, but we have to understand when we invest in our love of sports, our love of food, our love of, uh, uh, of anything, really, um, the deeper we get involved in that, it, it can take away from our spiritual... Yep pursuits yeah i gotcha that's good thank you i appreciate that very much welcome yep well rabbi yeah i mean i i don't know if we talked about this last time but you know we're, we're a species that's made to um to worship so if we're not worshiping hashem we're definitely uh in my situation worshiping everything else anyway but that's why i came here today <laughs> very good and i would actually just explain that in the tanya's parlance is you have two souls within you and either you're feeding one or you're feeding the other, right? So if you're not feeding your godly soul, that automatically who's going to fill the vacuum is going to be your animalistic soul. Yes. You know, there, there's you got to be doing something. So you and there's only two bus drivers. You know, going back to the parts there, there's only two bus drivers. So who's sitting in the wheel? You know, if you're not filling it with with the godly soul, then then the animalistic soul is going to sit there and he's going to try and figure out how to get uh, the, the the best and most enjoyable life, right? Okay. Rabbi, I can ask another quick one, and I, yeah, yeah, you can ask. I, 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 might, I, I, I don't, I don't want to. I, I, I might, I, I spaced out for like a minute. So if you address this again, we can just move move on. But the ice cream and pizza examples, you, you know, if I'm not, if I, if I'm not mistaken, Hashem is going to ask us when we, when we're in front of the heavenly court or or his subsidiaries, they're going to ask us. You know, did you enjoy my pleasures? Did you enjoy the Himalayas? Did you enjoy this? Did you, you know, and and uh, to, you know, I you know, as pizza, if if sure, there's a way to eat pizza like an animal, but there's also a way to eat eat a pizza like wow, this is an amazing creation that God has made for us, and thank you God for coming All up. Right, with right. so, so I did explain. I, I believe that passage. You can read it in multiple ways. Of course, uh, uh, you can read it for. Uh, us who are not sadikim, who are not righteous, and we will have to enjoy it in the most literal sense, but in a way that it serves God. Um, and that's fine for our level. But then you have uh, that sadikim who will enjoy it in a different way. They don't enjoy uh, the Himalayas. They enjoy it in some spiritual sense. Uh, they can probably see the, you know, the spiritual vivification behind it. Um, again, the Talmud is written for multiple levels. I can explain it for our level. You know, again, I can't really explain the tzaddik because I'm not there and we don't have the book of tzaddikim. It, it's really hard for me to say how they interact with the world, how how those Talmudic statements apply. But theoretically, to Rabbi, theoret the Rebbe, when the when the Rabbi when the Rebbe was handing was when the Rebbe was handing out honey cakes, yeah. and the Rebbe you know would eat a honey cake. When, the when he really going to say, oh, "I don't really like this." No, this is this is the Rebbe's going to say, "What a beautiful honey cake! God's handiwork is awesome." So what, what the Rebbe actually said when he gave out honey cake, one time explained, because he was one time giving out honey cake along with books of uh, of, uh, of Hasidus, Hasidic philosophy. He says, yeah. I want the people to know that Hasidic philosophy is as sweet as the cake. Yeah, okay. But when he would eat a piece of cake, again, he's a tzaddik. We're not. He was dealing with us, right? Again, we, yes, we enjoy the world in a very physical way. I, I don't think any of us are in this lifetime going to experience that escape that a tzaddik experiences. So we are going to enjoy the world in a very physical way. 
and work within the world and use the pleasures of the world to to serve God, as we explained in previous chapters. You know, hearing a joke, you know, to get you started and whatnot, and and, and eating good meat and making you feel good. Uh, but at Sadiq, no, they they operate on a whole different level. And um, how those Talmudic passages apply to them, I'll let I'll let the Sadiqim explain for themselves. But if I were, I have guesses, but I don't know. My guess is simply they enjoy the world in a very different way. They interact with the world in a different way. Uh, they find pleasure in different ways. They 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 can literally eat a sweet piece of cake and probably find a totally spiritual pleasure without tasting it. How? I don't know. I, I'm not a tzaddik. But Rabbi, I just yes. I just feel that I don't see why is the purpose for a tzaddik like the one you're describing to be in this world. Like, what is the purpose? Is uh, okay, right. So I said, I don't know, because again, I'm not a tzaddik. But what I do know is what I obviously certain things we do know. One, one, one purpose they have, of course, is to help us, right? No, I, I believe that I, I understand. No, you know, it's, 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 um, they're not, so to speak, stuck in the mud. They are exactly, exactly. Are, they're are, free. They're free. Exactly. They're almost like godly beings living here on this earth. They're, they're, they're yeah. straddling the two. I understand. Yeah, they're straddling. I understand completely. Right. So they have the ability to help us in special ways. They're models. They're models because people who are stuck in pleasure cycles where they're only feeding that beast do not even know that there's a different way of traveling through life. So they right. give us a model. Right, right. Uh, again, there's multiple ways of understanding. Again, there are also hidden sadikim, sadikim which we'll never meet and never know about and what they do. They do some things for God. I don't know. They have their own mission. I, I, like I said, I assume if you're a tzaddik, you know what your mission is. Like I said, we don't have the book. The Alter Rebbe literally wrote a book for tzaddikim. Just to give you the story, the actual, the whole story was he showed it to 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 a, a fellow tzaddik, a fellow righteous person. That that righteous person looked at it and he said, "This book is not, you know, to be printed for the world." And it says, "When that tzaddik died, the tzaddik who looked at it, his name was Ashbalazade. When he died, a fire broke out and the book burnt up. So the book is not meant for us. And 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 exactly what they do, we don't know everything that they do. But we, they help us let go. They help us right. let go. We know we know some of what they do. We don't know all of what they do, right?" You'd agree with that, right? Yes, but but Rabbi, their yeah. their 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 job is their role is so central to us because they help us learn to let go. A lot of life. By the way, is, by the way, by the way, just just to back up, their role is very central. And if we go back to chapter two, if we remember, in chapter two we discussed how how there are uh, like the Jewish people is one body and different souls come out of different gestation periods, right? And so some souls. Uh, had very little gestation, so to speak. They're still very spiritual on this world, and we actually connect to God through them. We explain that in chapter two. So yes, we we need them to help connect us, uh, God, not as an idol worship type of level. Again, we spoke about in chapter two, not in an idol worship way, as but, an example, and more than an example. There's even a deeper spiritual element to it. But yes, even more. Oh, than it makes yeah. us question because it you'll, makes you'll us. Have, you'll have you'll have to go back to my class on chapter two. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Any other any other questions or comments? Uh, I I know that Sadik is kind of. I want you know once we're. I want to share a couple stories just so you appreciate Sadikim a little bit more. You have a better appreciation for it. So, um, you know, uh, you know the Rebbe himself had a big house but actually when he bought it he bought a very simple house and you can still go into his house the rebbe never updated his house his house was never updated and the rebbe had the same car for many many years people tried buying him new ones he never got new ones so he was more of a, so to speak i should say a tzaddik that lived on a more modest level uh but there were tzaddik and there were righteous people in the generations who, who uh lived with lots of money and so the story goes like this one time there was a uh a chassid a follower of a certain tzaddik and and he met a heretic and the heretic said, Oh, all your big rabbis, all they care is about money. So he says, he says, Our, my rabbi doesn't care about money at all. And he says, he explained, he says, I'll give you an example. He says, one time there was a cow, and this cow was always looking forward to Sunday morning. Why Sunday morning? Because uh the, the lady of the house after Shabbat would wash all the Shabbos food into you know like a bowl they didn't have like plumbing and sinks she used to wash all the shadows food into a bowl and so the water 
would have the Shabbos leftovers on it. And every Sunday, she would give the water to the cow. And the cow would drink this water. It would be the most delicious water it had all week. And uh, one week, uh, the cow didn't get its water Sunday morning. What happened? The lady in the house forgot. She spilled the water out. You know, instead of giving it to the cow, she forgot she spilled it out. So the cow started thinking to itself, why didn't I get the water this week? And finally, the cow came up with an idea. Probably the lady of the house got jealous of the water that I was drinking and she drank it herself. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. A human being doesn't want that water. It's disgusting water. It's, it's water that you wash dishes with, right? So what was the point of the story? The uh, heretic was projecting his views about a money onto the tzaddik. The tzaddik has no pleasure in money. If a tzaddik was using money in gold and silver, it was for a totally different reason. It was like the cow believing that the human being wanted this water. To, 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 to the human being, that water was disgusting. To the tzaddik, the gold and silver, they don't look at it as gold and silver. They don't look at it as riches. What One, one second, one second. So this is the idea. It's, it's, it's really a tzaddik. It's, it's a completely different... Um, completely different uh, level, a completely different, um, uh, you know, stage. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't understand it at all. You know, they, there's also another story. Um, says the Magnum Mesrich. You know, a lot of different stories. Um, and they tell a story of a. Um, this is another great story. You know, I'll get to it in a moment. I'll end up with the last story. But um, yeah, what was your what was your what was your, what was your question? No, I was gonna say maybe something is wrong with me since I understand it so well. First of all, desire is a response to all of all these multiple desires and and seeking of pleasure. It's a response to um a, a state that is not a a state imbalanced when we're balanced we desire very little so it, someone like me who's confused like why do i understand it so well like you like it's hard to understand because i understand that the goal for me is not ha happiness is not pleasure that is not the goal for me right right got it okay i got it all right so that that is by the way another lesson we can learn from exotic even if we're not going to get um a tzaddik has, no, a tzaddik does have pleasure in life. They have physical and spiritual pleasure and pain. Um, can they feel, can a tzaddik feel pain? Uh, yes. So yes. Uh, this, this story, there's a story of the Majitzer Rebbe. The Majitzer Rebbe was a tzaddik. And one time he, he was older and he said, uh, they they needed to do a surgery on him, but they didn't want to give him the anesthesia because it was dangerous. He was older, so he said, "I'm going to sit him on the on the operating table. I'm going to sing a song, and when you see that I'm in a spiritually elevated place, you can do the surgery on me, and I won't feel it." And that's indeed what happened. He he's lay on the table. He so to speak went into rapture, and he did not feel the uh, physical pain. Uh, so what that tells me is that they, they have the ability to, to transcend pain. Um, they can probably also feel pain as well. Um, um, but again, I believe their pain is always, the godly soul can also feel pain, but it's always directed towards godly things. Okay. Um, I want to end off with this story because this one is very relevant for us. I want to end off this section with a story. The story goes like this. The Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe had a, a chassid, a follower, who was very poor. But he had a brother who was very rich. So the poor brother needed money to marry off his, his children. So uh, he went to his rich brother to uh, fundraise, to get some money. So he shows up at the rich brother's house. The rich brother says, ah, oh, brother, so nice to see you. And of course, he wants to show off his riches. So he starts taking this poor brother from room to room. He says, this is the room that we read books in. This is the room where I sleep. This is the room where I put up my feet. This is the room where we have the kitchen. And this is the room for the mini kitchen. And this brother like lives a simple life, spiritual life. He lives in a one-bedroom apartment. He's starting to think to himself, what, what, what a headache. You have a separate room for everything. You know, <laughs> you got to go. 
from the living room to the dining room to the to the to the, to the, to the billiards room to the this room to that. My his life is simple. His life is nice. He sits in one room. He has everything he needs. Anyway, so his brother's taking him around, and eventually uh, the rich brother sees the poor brother is uh, not impressed. She says, "Brother, listen, uh, what's wrong?" He says, "Listen." You know, I don't care for all the stuff. Either give me the money or don't give me the money. But, uh, you know, don't torture me like this. So um, brother says, okay, I understand. But he says, uh, you know, what's so, what's so terrible about all this? So the brother looks at him. The poor brother looks to the rich brother and says, listen, there's an animal. He says it's called a pig. The pig, what is it like? It likes to wallow in the mud. But let me tell you, this pig has only one problem in its life. Pig is only one thing that's bothering it. It wants to know why it can only go into the mud until its nose. Why can it totally be inside of the mud? It has to leave its uh, snout over so it can breathe. The pig is upset. Why can it totally be submerged in the mud? So the brother was telling he was telling him is in other words, basically what he was telling him is like this. He's saying, You're almost you're almost like the pig. In other words, you're seeking pleasure, and that's all you're doing. And the only thing you're bothered by in life is that you can't get more. And that's really, you know, when we submit ourselves to pleasure, that's really what happens to us. Again, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, we're all that bad, but I'm saying uh, when we chase just pleasures, that's definitely where it leads us to, is in which uh, we, we, we seek pleasure and seek pleasure, and all we're left is we want more and more and more, and we'll always be uh, um, upset that we can't get it all. In fact, as the Talmud states, a person does not die with even half of their desires. In other words, when you pass away, you don't have half of what you want. In other words, if you if you... If you have something, you want more. I've always pointed out, you know, there's many stories of, right? People who say, if I get a million dollars, I'll be happy. Let me get the million dollars, and then I want the $2 million. There are some people who get a million dollars, they're happy. But those are people who are always happy. They just need enough money to pay their bills. They've, in fact, proved it in studies. They said uh, riches exponentially increase your happiness when you get enough money to cover your bills. But from when you have enough money to cover your bills and up, it really doesn't raise your happiness by that much. I've actually shown this, right? Again, so if you have enough money for your bills, you know, that does make a big difference in your happiness. But from saying pay your bills to much higher, the the level of happiness that, that money increases is not that much. Um, so, you know, we, we, we are all subject to an extent to our desires. And um, we all want to know what does a tzaddik do? You know, honestly, I believe a tzaddik has a very peaceful life. Our pleasures definitely drive us crazy. Yes, Beth. No, I'm 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 agreeing with everything oh, you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, like it is it is so true. The you keep wanting more and more, and you think that's going to fulfill your spiritual side. But it, I mean, look how many people are so miserable. Not everybody, right? But a lot of people I know who have everything. It looks like they have everything, especially on Facebook. But anyway, it's not true. I I, I have a friend who was a psychiatrist years ago. He said. It may look perfect. He said, trust me, nobody has it perfect, which is true. But wow. I, I've enjoyed everything you've said. And as far as the tzaddik, to me, it's just a, somebody who's on a much higher level and who's closer to God. That's that's Very probably good. too simple, but that's... No, no, um, that's actually a great encapsulation of it. And really, that's another point we didn't discuss. We didn't even discuss. They're, they're at a, a spiritual plane that we can't even appreciate. Yeah exactly and that's exactly. why i said i think in last class i said you know there are great rabbis and rabbits and great men and women but great doesn't mean you're a tzaddik you can you know be a wonderful person you know helpful do lots of mitzvahs but a tzaddik is just a different caliber they're, they're more and that spirituality comes from that level of completely getting rid of their evil inclination it's not nothing to say bad about us but a tzaddik is a completely different caliber and you're right closer to god and yeah hopefully help yeah. us connect you know, see that spirituality. Well, Rabbi, there's people that understand their true mission here better than others. That's that's the thing. You want to understand your mission more by they come to tomorrow night's class. But um, just to give one more example of what a tzaddik is, and actually it'll come to play in tomorrow's class as well, but uh, they tell the story of a, of a family that was put in a dungeon uh, by, you know, an evil landlord. And then, so they're put in the dungeon and they live there. And then they have kids and they have grandkids. And then so they, they pass on a tradition to their kids and grandkids, their great grandkids that, you know, they, um, 
that there's a world out there, a bigger world out there. You know, they're living in this dungeon and they have what they have there. And every single day food drops out from the sky, you know, from the hole at the top. And, uh, you know, the parents tried to pass on a tradition that, you know, there's a, there's a whole world out there. But as time goes on and generations go by, people start to doubt it. People say that they don't believe it. It's like, is there really a world out there? Is there really a world beyond what we see? We've never seen, nobody's ever seen it in years. They must be delusional or something, you know? And they start to believe this is all there is. The reality that they see is all there is. And then one day, you know, 100 years later, a new prisoner gets popped in there. And this new prisoner starts to tell them about this world out there and how there's a whole nother existence. And suddenly the people start to believe because now they're seeing someone who not only can talk about another world out there and has heard about it, but someone who's actually experienced it. It simply says that's what a tzaddik is. A tzaddik is not just someone who does more good deeds than us. They actually experience spirituality. And therefore, they can pass on to us that, yes, there is a spiritual world beyond what we see. They have that ability to pass it on to us because they're like that, that captive that's dropped in. They're kind of spirit, more spiritual human beings dropped here on this earth. And they can we can see from them that there is a greater spirituality, a great greater than we can see here. You know, seeing somebody like the Rebbe and other tzaddikim gave us an appreciation that there is something beyond what we see because we can see someone who lives that spirituality here on this earth. And so that's a great importance of appreciating the tzaddikim. Um, so I think that's uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, also gives another idea and how to understand the role that tzaddikim play, at least for us. You know, it's interesting, by the way, uh, I think I mentioned this rabbi, Abraham J. Tversky. He was a um, psychiatrist, psychologist, um, psychiatrist, psycholo psychologist, and he, he opened up a lot, you know, uh, rehabilitation homes but um he wrote lots of books great books and in one of his books where he gives stories of sadikim he actually starts off in the preface like what's the point of these stories of these sadikim like they're just so much better than us so to speak like what does that mean to us and he says first of all it can inspire us um and second of all we can we can strive to do an element of what they do in their lives we cannot necessarily get there fully but an element and so that example is over here as well. A tzaddik's great love of God causes their um, disgust for worldly things. And conversely, we can learn from this as well, even if we're never going to get there, to understand that there is a push and pull here. That uh, if you want more spirituality, you have to let go of some of your physical pleasures, or at least not be so involved in it. You know? Um, I would venture to say that even those of us here who talk about, you know, eating uh, steak for godly reasons and pizza for godly reasons, there can be an animalistic part of it that that, that enters as well. Um, you know, do you eat exactly the amount of steak that is necessary, you know, or uh, you, something's good, you eat a little bit more, you know, right? Pizza is good, you eat, you'll take another slice, even if you don't really need it, um, you know. Um, we can get too engrossed in our... Uh, Whatever um, our physical attractions are too, we have to remember that they will take away. So, you know, there's a lot of people, they wonder why is there, why are their prayers not, you know, becoming as spiritual as they would like? Maybe it's uh, too much chocolate cake, you know, as, as Hasidim would, al would always say, or things like that. There is a push and pull. And that's what, that's one of the takeaways we have from looking at a tzaddik, even if we're never going to get to their level of complete disgust of the physicality and complete and entire desire, love and pleasure for God, we have to understand that there is a push and pull here. And, and honestly, it's not a far-fetched idea. We see it very plainly. Um, where a lot of people, there are a lot of mitzvahs they don't want to take upon themselves because of their uh, other worldly pleasures. As I always say, it's a lot of times it's priorities. When people say they don't have the time, a lot of times it's not they don't have the time, it's their it's their uh, what are their priorities? What do they love more? So for example, um, people say they don't have enough time to do the, the the prayers. They're too long. Well, maybe, or maybe if you got rid of the hour day of Netflix or some people, um, you know, they, they don't want to come to synagogue, but they'll, they'll go uh, to the movies, uh, whatever, you know, they say, they say they don't have the time, but we clearly see they do have the time or people that don't want to spend money on certain um, for example, people want to buy the cheapest uh, uh, spiritual, right? Buy the cheapest mezuzah, buy the cheapest tefillin, buy the cheapest lulav and etrog. 
when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we, we get the cheapest. And when it comes to uh, physical things, we get the most expensive. Uh, what does that come from? Uh, that comes from, again, it's not judging anybody. We, we all have reasons and I'm not perfect either. I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect. I'm, I am far from perfect. But uh, we all have um, our reasons. Uh, and sometimes maybe they're good reasons. But that's the idea is where is your where are your pleasure centers? Where are your priorities? And if we really love God, we're going to want to make the things that we that that beautify God the most. So if I really love God and I'm doing something for God, I want to get the nicest thing. Think about it. Um, you buy flowers for your spouse. You could buy the $2 flowers or you can get the $10 flowers. You know, you want, we want to get a gift. Now, obviously there it's kind of easier to see because your spouse might... You know, give you over the head if you don't bring them a ten dollar flower. There's not two dollars flowers, Rabbi. <laughs> well, see, I don't know because my wife doesn't really. It's not really into flowers, so I. I'm sorry, I don't actually know about this. <laughs> but um, you know, um, whatever, whatever it is, you, you get the idea. You know, for for our kids, how many people do so much for their kids because they love them? They don't give them the bare basics of what they need to survive. They give them uh above and beyond above beyond even what they would give themselves out of their love for their children they want to give them the best that they can get again everybody at their level a multimillionaire is going to give their, their kid you know everybody's stretching themselves right i might stretch myself to get myself a kid something that's five dollars and a multimillionaire will stretch themselves to get you know a thousand dollar thing but everybody stretches themselves for their children we should stretch ourselves for god as well but again it, it boils down to you know, if you're doing the mitzvah out of a sense of obligation, or if you if you can if you can create within yourself a love of God, which the whole Tanya is all about this, as I said last week. Well, purpose of the Tanya is to create within ourselves a love of God. If we can give ourselves a love for God, then automatically, automatically, our love for God will make it that we will put in more effort, more money, more time into our godly pursuits great to see you thank you david and we will put in less effort less time less money into our physical pursuits that's just it just makes sense that's just the way it's going to work um it's not a, a trick it's just the physical reality of the person the more you love god the more you're going to put in there and you're going to put less in other things a lot of people say priorities about their kids they love their kids they'll spend more time with their kids over other things because their love for their kids makes everything else seem less relevant. And so a person may have been a bachelor and may have gone out partying with their friends. When, once they have kids, they stop that and they may not even feel like it's a denial. Their love for their kids makes automatically that those things look less appealing. And so this is one of the lessons we can gain from uh, looking at the tzaddik and his balance of the love to God versus you know, hate or disgust of things that are non-godly. At our own level, we can experience it as well. And this can give us a more spiritual lifestyle without feeling a sense of denial. So with that, I'm going to stop the recording. Hopefully.